So um, I'm going to show some images this morning that I'm a little afraid to show. And here's why. Um, a few years back, I remember it became kind of this viral thing. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure there were um, families uh, divided over these things. Men probably got um, kicked to the couch over things like this. And so I, I want to show you this picture of um, an infamous dress. And maybe you remember this dress. So here's the question. What color is the dress? Is it gold and white or is it blue and black? All right, raise hands. How many say it is gold and white? All right, how many of you are, it's definitely black and blue? How many of you are like, it keeps changing on me, I'm not sure? It's interesting, right? Now, how about this? How many, this was a less popular one, but how about this? How about these shoes? These shoes that are going to come up, here's the question. Are these shoes pink and white or are they teal and gray? Or are they some other color? All right, who says it's pink and white? What about teal and gray? Man, it's creepy because, like, half of you basically, like, did the exact same answer. So you guys are all seeing things differently. Who remembers when this was kind of a viral big thing, right? It, it was the big hot topic around schools, around workplaces, in home. Everyone wanted to know who is seeing what, right? It's interesting, isn't it? I'm sure there's a scientific explanation, but isn't it interesting how... Many people could see the same thing and come to different conclusions, have a different perspective. This morning, we're going to talk a little bit about perspective, and we're going to talk about how we relate to one another, and we're going to talk about it from the context of understanding, too, that we are very different people, right? There can be a, a, a picture, there can be an event, and we all could see the same thing, but also see different things. Now, I want to make it clear at the forefront of this message, what we're not going to talk about is that there are different truths for different people. Here at South Creek, we believe that, that there is such thing as absolute truth, that, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came into this world to die for us, and, and, and that because of him we can have new life, and he's the only way that we can get to the Father. So I want to make that clear before anyone's like, he's going to go down the road where truth is relative to people. No. What I do want to talk about is how since we are created and wired differently, we perceive things differently, how if we were to understand and relate to one another better, that maybe we could love each other better. Maybe our world could be a better place. If you have a Bible this morning, you can open up to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to read from one of the most uh, kind of famous passages uh, of Jesus' teaching. And in this teaching, what's happening is we find that uh, there is experts of the law. There used to be these guys who would sit around in really cool-looking robes, and they were the scholarly religious leaders of the day. And most of the time, they would sit around and try to decide who was smarter uh, than the other and who could interpret the Old Testament better than the other. And one of them asked Jesus a question. And really, it was a question he was trying to trick him on. He was trying to trip him up on this question. He just said this, what's the greatest commandment? Now, if you understand any of the Old Testament, you know, there's the Ten Commandments that most people are familiar with. But then outside of that, there were like hundreds of other commandments that were in the Old Testament law. And so, so this feels like a trick question where it's, if he answers one way, probably people are going to like lose their mind and be like, oh my gosh, what about this? You know, think about this. I mean, now, it's, it's probably interesting to think about Jesus 
dealing with polarized people, right? Because it's not like we live in a really polarized society right now, right? Like people are very gracious with one another, very understanding. They oftentimes sit back and listen to each other's viewpoints. Um, so it's totally different um, time. No, it was a polarized time then as well. And so this is what it says in the text. Jesus replies with this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul, and with all your minds. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he says this, and this is key. He says, the second is like it. He's saying it's like this other one. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus goes all the way to say all of the law and the prophets. He's saying the entire Old Testament, what we have at that point, hang on these two commandments. Everything else, it's important, but everything else has to fit on these two things. That's pretty important. All right, let's wrap it up. Let's bring the band back out. Let's pray because this is obviously simple. It's easy. We got it, right? Why is it that understanding how to live as a Christ follower can be bottled up so simply yet be so complex? I feel that way often. Why, why can I read this? Why could I, I could teach this to my three and a half year old and he could somewhat understand it. But why is it so difficult to practice it? Here's one reason why I think it might be difficult to practice it. I think it's hard to love our neighbor when we don't know our neighbor. I mean, think about that. How many of us would be honest? And, and when I talk about neighbor, I'm not just talking about the person who lives on the left or the right of you, the person sitting right next to you right now, the person who has uh, an office or a cubicle next to you, the classmate who sits next to you. I'm not just talking about the geographically things. I'm talking about the neighbor from the aspect of, of a biblical representation of what I believe Jesus talks about. And when, when he talks about neighbor, he's just talking about any person you have the opportunity to love. Any person. And yet the truth is, we have tons of people in our lives that we have the opportunity to love. Yet more often than not, we don't. And more often than not, I would say, at least in my own life, and maybe I'm just the terrible person in the room, I don't love them oftentimes because partially I don't know them. And can I be real with you guys? Sometimes I purposely try not to know them so I don't have to try to love them. Maybe I'm not the only one. But so I want to explore this morning um, four kind of, and this is an exhaustive list, this is just four ways that I think that if we were to lean into these things that maybe we would learn how to better relate to others, better love our neighbors. Because again, if the most important two things are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then the second one is like that, which really to me, that means they're, they're connected. It's kind of like if two people are, are connected together, if they're tied together. It's sort of like if one's climbing up on top of the mountain, it, just because one makes it to the top, if the other one falls down, it's going to drag the other one down. Essentially what that means is just this. You can't say that you love God and hate your neighbor. On the other way, you can't say that, that, that you just love people and you don't love God. There, it's this, this, this two thing. You have to hit both marks to really experience the fullness of the kingdom of God to eventually win uh, the, the prize, which eventually is to spend eternity in heaven with him. And so I want to talk real quick four, four ways that I think we can work on relating to ourselves better. The first one is just this, understand yourself. And, and we've been talking about this the last few weeks in particular, but I think it's important because I, maybe this is helpful for you. I, 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 we have the preschool going on here, and I've realized repetition matters, right, when learning. Um, if anyone has any kids who are in the threes class at the preschool here, you have been singing the R-E-D song for weeks, right? I can spell red. Um, I hear them from my office constantly. 
But there is something to be said about repetition, right? You know, it's not surprising that Jesus teaches about um, three three things in particular a lot about. And I wonder if it's because maybe it's like, maybe if you guys would just get it. And so the first thing is this, understand yourself. I really believe that a healthy amount of self-awareness could lead to a generous love of others and a closer connection to Christ. That, that we don't lean into understanding ourselves for a self-absorption, for a place where we get to better ourselves just so we can be great, but it's so we can love others better. Because honestly, can we be real? Sometimes we don't know how we want to be loved or related to. Anyone ever feel that? Anyone ever experience days where you're like, I want to be left alone, but gosh, why won't anyone talk to me? You ever feel that way? Sometimes my wife would be like, what do you want to do tonight? I'm like, I want to do nothing, but I also want to do something really fun. It doesn't work. I want to hang out at home, but I also want to go and check out a new restaurant. And so we have to do the work of understanding ourselves because the truth is we can't live out healthy relationship if we don't even have a healthy internal relationship. We cannot give out love that we don't have. And the truth is, in the same way, it's really hard to be aware of others without knowing ourselves first. That's deeply difficult. And it's difficult to enter into any sort of intimate relationship. And I'm not even talking about just like marriage or things like that. I'm just talking about friendships. It's hard to have an intimate relationship with someone if you don't know yourself. Because you're constantly changing and they can't figure you out either. So we have to do the work of understanding ourselves. Here's the second thing. We have to do the work to understand other people. We have to do the work to understand others. Here's why. We're different, right? How many of you uh, have recognized, maybe if you're married, that your spouse is different than you? Anyone? Maybe they put the roll of toilet paper a different way on. Uh, Maybe they have uh, different thoughts on uh, holidays. They have different thoughts on uh, uh, cleanliness. My wife believes that I have a really great gift of not seeing clutter. Um, It's probably true. But we're different, right? We're different types of people. You know, in this series, we've been talking about um, a personality tool called the Enneagram. And if you have a journal uh, in here, you're going to find that uh, starting on page number 21, it talks about these nine different types of people. And it gives some different ways to talk about how you can communicate with them, some of their strengths and weaknesses. But it's true. When, when When we dive into understanding the people around us, we recognize that we don't see the world the same. We have different values we have different motivations isn't it crazy too even in the same family how many would say that you have siblings that are complete opposites to you i mean oftentimes we talk about my my brothers and i we love each other but we talk about there's three boys in my family we talk about how we were completely opposite i mean we have some similarities we have things we like and things like that but even in the way that we were parented I mean, there, there, there were ways that if my parents wanted to talk to my older brother, they would talk to him in that manner, but it wouldn't work for me or my other brother. Maybe you experience that now if you have children. I mean, there are ways that sometimes a one-size-fits-all approach just doesn't work because we are created uniquely. We are the combination of, of, of some brokenness because we live in a sinful world and some beauty because we are created in the image of God. And the truth is we experience some of those things in differing ways. We have different family of origins. Even within our family of origin, you may have experienced something differently. Maybe you are the oldest and you started your life with being the only child and life was great and you had all the attention. And then your parents went and did something stupid and had you a sibling and you lost all that attention. 
Maybe one of you grew up during a time during your formative years where your parent had a really great job and one of you grew up at a time where maybe they lost their job. There are different things, different factors that are playing into the way that we interpret the world in the way that we experience our own personality and things like that. We are incredibly complex people. Yet if we go back and we remind ourselves of what Jesus said, that the second commandment is like this, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying, this is what we usually try to do, love your neighbor exactly how you like to be loved. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, love your neighbor as yourself. You know what I think Jesus is saying here that he understands? Do you know what everyone's favorite subject is? Themselves. Even the most humble people are really good at thinking about themselves often. About putting their own preferences first. Even sometimes in the way that they do it, it's sort of this like maneuver thing of like, I'm going to be like super humble, but also I'm going to be humble so that you think I'm humble and that's my identity. And so when Jesus is saying, love your neighbor as yourself, he's saying, put the person into a position in your life. Love them at the magnitude where you are thinking of them more highly than yourself because you want to be thought highly of. But I think in understanding how we relate to others, understanding others, it's important to know that we don't want to be loved the same. Maybe you've read the book, The Five Love Languages, before, where it talks about how there's different ways we experience love. You know, there's words of affirmation, there's quality time, there's physical touch, there's acts of service. Uh, what am I missing? The fifth one. Someone help me out. Gifts. There we go. Oh, my wife threw that one out quick. I guess I need to go get myself something. But it's interesting that we experience it different ways. Maybe as you hear that, some of you are like, yes, that's me. But have you ever experienced, maybe you do this too. I, I learned the hard way at first that I tried when I started dating my wife and then we got married. I oftentimes would try to love my wife in the way that I wanted to be loved. So for me, I wanted her, my, my, my top two typically are physical touch and words of affirmation. So basically, I wanted my wife just to um, hold me close and tell me that I'm pretty. That's what I wanted. Hers, on the other hand, are quality time and acts of service. So, you know, I, I joke oftentimes that, like, if I want to get on her good side, like, if I, if, I, if I want her to, like, be like, mm, like, I'll, like, send her pictures of myself folding laundry, like, what's up, baby? How you doing? Um, for me, though, like, I, I felt bad. There'd be times where she would, like, clean the house and, and come home, and I was stupid, and I, like, wouldn't make a deal about it, and she'd almost be like, are you mad at me? Like, no, I just didn't think about, like, how that works. And maybe some of you have experienced that, too. Maybe you try to do that with your children or your grandchildren. Maybe some of you um, try to give them gifts, and they don't really want gifts. They just want time. Or maybe maybe they just aren't looking for you uh, 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 to do things for them. You're, they're looking for you to say words of affirmation into their life. Here's just the big important part of all this. Figure out. Spend the time. Again, it goes back to this idea that you, it's really hard to love someone that you don't know. At least it's really hard to love them well. So figure that out. Have the conversations. Take notice of things. The issue is most of us live such busy lives that we fail to take the time to actually know each other. In fact, most of us, if we're really honest, this has been, I'll just vulnerable moment with you guys sometimes we're so busy in our life that we don't take the time to understand who we are what we want how we're wired that's been something i've been working on this year is taking time to understand me 
Because oftentimes what I've realized is I don't relate to others well sometimes in moments because I don't know who I am. I'm figuring out some of my internal wiring too. But we have to do the work to do this. Jesus was a master at this. Have you ever noticed if you read through the Gospels, Jesus interacts with people who, who, who fit on different class systems, different races, religions, different genders, different socioeconomical places. And what's interesting is he loved them all with the same consistent love and grace, but he approached them, talked to them, responded to them in unique fashions. I mean, it's interesting how you'll see the, the, the pious religious leader who oftentimes is trying to, to get him in a place. Sometimes he had more harsh words to interact with them. On the other end, you find where he's finding the downcast person, the prostitute, uh, the person who has been has leprosy, and he approaches them and talks to them different because Jesus realized that each person should be uh, approached in a different way. Pastor Jerry um, who, who, who spoke here uh, a few weeks back and who had been on staff here for a long time, one of the gifts of, uh, of something that he taught me was this idea of the gift of significance, that there's something beautiful about giving people the gift of significance, letting them know that you actually care, that you're actually listening, paying attention to them. Jesus was a master at this. And there's too many stories to share, but I, I love the way that he would do this. Even even how he would respond to different people. In, in the journal this week, you're going to read about a story in Luke chapter 10 where he responds to uh, two sisters, Mary and Martha, who had two very different perspectives about what was necessary in a moment. And what's interesting in that story is he doesn't actually say that, that one is necessarily wrong. He just says that one chose better. He recognized in that moment that they were two different people experiencing and trying to love him in two different ways. So... Do the hard work to know them. Because here's the other thing I wonder about. I wonder that if, if, if we would know people's story, could we love them better? And I really believe that, that knowing someone's story, it might not help you like them more, but it may help you better love them. I know in my own life, there have been people that I have just, I, I think that's true. Everyone has just certain personalities, different people. I don't think we're called to have to like everybody or be friends with everyone. I think we're just called to love everybody. Um, but there's been moments where I would be so frustrated with people. I wouldn't get them. And then I would get the chance to either have a conversation with them or someone would let me in on some of the inner working of their story. And I would realize, oh, that's why you are the way you are. I could realize, oh, no, 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 no. You're not, you're, you're not distrusting because you don't believe in me. You're distrusting because you had someone in your life who really violated you, who, who betrayed you. Or, 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 or maybe you are worried about someone abandoning you. When we start to understand people's story, it's going to help us better love them. But the issue becomes most of us respond to people out of negative places, out of places of confrontation and contention before we know their story. And oftentimes I think there's something beautiful to try the Jesus approach of stopping and standing back and trying to understand things before we just react. That oftentimes when we, when we pause, we can respond rather than react. Here's the other thing I think with all of this. When we understand our place in the story of the gospel, we can love our neighbors the way Jesus does. What I mean by that is when I talk about the gospel, that means good news. And, and the good news is this, and if you haven't heard it, I hope you hear it this morning and know it's for you, is that the God of all the universe who created you and me, because he allowed free will into this world, there was this broken relationship and sin entered into this world and shame helped us go hide in the darkness and that God loved us so much that 
He continued to pursue relationship to restore our broken relationship. And it ended by having his son, Jesus, come into this world to show us a new way to live. And not only that, he became the way, the truth, and the life. And that he was our connection to the Father. And that he died on a cross, his blood was shed to pay the debt that we could never pay so that we could have new life. And after three days of being in a tomb, he was raised again because death could not hold him down. That was how powerful his love is for us. And because of that, we can have new life. We can have peace. We can have hope. We can have joy. Now, when we understand our stories in light of that, we recognize that God has been incredibly generous and good to us. He has been incredibly patient with us, and he continues to pursue us. Now, if we could view our neighbors, even the ones that are difficult to love, in the way that Jesus looks at us, because that's the same way he looks at them, then maybe, just maybe, we could learn to love them in a powerful way. Just maybe our our gospel, our good news, would actually mean something to the world around us because they would say, what in the world is this? I, I still think in some ways the idea of enemy love that Jesus talks about throughout the gospels is one of the most powerful and important things for the world to see today. Because every other religion, every other teaching, every other philosophy typically says, like, if someone's not for you, get them away from you. Fight them. And yet Jesus does this countercultural thing of talking about enemy love. And I think if people could see that, that is where they would see power. That is where they would see a, a, a true gospel that actually is changing and transforming lives. All right, I got to move quick here. All right, here's the third thing that I think is important, and we don't have enough time to touch deeply on it, but it's just this. Deal with conflict like Jesus. Deal with conflict like Jesus. We're not going to dive into it, but if you want to take notes and read about it later, in the Gospel of Matthew 18, verses uh, 15 through 19, Jesus kind of lays out um, the standard conflict resolution manifesto, if you would like to talk about it that way. But he, but he underlines for us a way to, to go about it in a positive way. Here's, here's what's kind of something that we don't like to talk about. Conflict is inevitable. If you are breathing, you will get into conflict. And sometimes, though, I think some of us think, if I don't acknowledge the conflict, if I don't respond to the conflict, I don't have to deal with the conflict. But conflict that you don't deal with in a lot of ways is sort of like taking a bomb that has a timer and just being like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to bury it in the ground and just hope it doesn't go off. When we know inevitably it's going to eventually explode, right? Eventually it's going to uh, explode. Many of us, how many of us probably, well, don't raise your hand because your spouse might see you. How many, we do these in our marriage sometimes. We're like, let's just not deal with this right now. I don't feel like dealing with this. We'll bury it. Hopefully it doesn't come back. And yet it continues to come back over and over again. It's important to understand conflict. It's important, and this is, this is another thing in, in the journal. If you look at it, it talks about some of the different types in ways that you could say this. Don't say this. Remember this. It's because even in conflict, people need and respond to different things. Some people need to process. Some people are fighters, and some people are flighters. Some people want to just deal with it right away, and sometimes they want to deal with it, and they're not really deal with, dealing with it. I can say it because he would know this, but like one of my older brothers is a steamroller. When conflict comes, he is like a bulldozer who's just like, all right, let's just get through this as quick as we can. We're not really going to take care of it all the way. And, and he knows that and he's dealing with that. But 
That's him. Me, on the other hand, I sometimes am like, conflict, sweet, I'm out. That's my natural, I'm I'm getting better at it, but like, that's my natural default. I would rather not deal with conflict. I would rather, um, I'm I'm what's called a seven on the Enneagram, and and that's kind of a classic thing for them. Um, You know, it's like, let's just pretend stress isn't here. Let's just kind of avoid it and go do something else that sounds more fun. But we have to deal with it, and we have to recognize that we have to understand that conflict with individuals, each person, we don't deal with it the exact same way. For some people, saying a harsh word quickly is not going to respond to them well. For other people, that's the only way it's going to get through to them. Regardless, though, we have to deal with our conflict. I I worry sometimes, and man, I'm feeling this way sometimes too with my three-year-old. There's times where I just, he's not even in big conflict right now. It's usually like, you know, I don't want to share my toy. But I fear sometimes that we want to keep our children away from conflict. And we want to take care of all of their conflict for them. And I think we do a big disservice to them when we do that. When we just take care of everything in their lives, what's going to happen is we're going to have a generation that grows up who either doesn't deal with conflict and will just continue to deal with broken relationships because you know it's really easy. Rather than having a conversation, rather than going to counseling, rather than just talking about it, we can just peace out. We can just be non-committal in, in marriages, in family, uh, in, in work, in all sorts of things. And so I think there's something important and healthy about modeling and helping people understand how to deal with conflict. If you want more resources on that, email me. I'd love to talk to you. It's something I have been personally working on in my own life. Here's the final thing that I think is really important. If we want to relate to and love others well, it's just this. We have to be generous with grace. We have to be generous with grace. I fear sometimes that some of us, and this is myself included sometimes, um, sometimes I think we, you know, kind of unconsciously, it's almost like we think that there's only almost only so much grace in this world, that, that Jesus can only love us so well. It's almost like, it's almost like children vying uh, for attention from their parents, where it's like, I only know they have so much of that. And the issue becomes is that oftentimes then we're not very generous with our grace. Sometimes we respond to people by like, all right, you get three strikes and you're out. You get three ways to, to, to grow in your relationship with Jesus. And if you don't do it quickly, you're out of here. Or, 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 or we just want to respond too quickly with condemnation and judgment. Now, here's the thing. There's a difference between uh, judgment and accountability. And there's a difference between uh, uh, just this idea of trying to help people out. Um, trying to call people out. You have to be in the right relationship for that. But I think for most of us, we could do a better job of being overly generous to people with grace. And the reason why? Jesus has been overly generous with grace to us. In, the, in, in Paul's letter to Titus, which is, is towards the end of the New Testament, Paul wrote to Titus, this, this, this minister who he's pouring into, and he, he just says this. He says, at one time, you two... We're foolish. What great words, right? <laughs> Who doesn't want to hear that? At one time, you two were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Then it's interesting. Paul slips here, too, and he says, we, he's talking about himself now, too, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And these words are still true. And they're still profitable and excellent to every single person. No matter how long they've been following Jesus, no matter how much growth they've had, that we still all have to remind ourselves that we too were foolish and disobedient. We too were full of anger. We're full of sin. We still too all deal with sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. And yet we have to remind ourselves of the goodness and the grace of Jesus. We have to continue to point ourselves back to this because otherwise what can happen is we're not gracious in love with other people. My friends, we must view others the way that Jesus does as sons and daughters who are deeply loved and wanted. Not as enemies, not as people to conquer, not as people to try to avoid, but people to love. I want to end with with a quick story. And many of you know this story probably if you've been around church any time. It's the story of how there were two sons and one father. And how one day the younger son came to the father and said, Father, I want, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. And the son takes all of his inheritance and he, he leaves his father and he goes and just squanders all of it. And, and he eventually, uh, people leave him after the money stops flowing and the parties ends. And he eventually one day decides this is enough. I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to beg him for mercy. I'm going to beg that maybe I could just work for him because I shouldn't be living this way. And so he goes back and before he can even make it to uh, his father's home, his father just runs, he sprints and he embraces him and he just loves on him so much. This, this prodigal son, this son who ran far away. And we see this, right? This love of God being this one that is just wild and extravagant, despite the fact that we've been so unfaithful. Yet in the story, there's the two sons, and there's the older son who hears the news of his brother being here. And he tells his father he's not going to come into the party. And his father, yet again, goes out to meet his child. And the son reminds the father, Father, I was here always. You never once threw this party for me. You never once had this big blowout. And now this, this brother of mine who, who, who disgraced us, who disobeyed you, who wished you dead, I'm not going into that party. I'm not going to be a part of something like that. And the father was so disheartened. And he reminded his son, listen, this, this, this brother that you had, he once was lost but he's now found. He once was dead, but now he's alive. Here's the moral of this story. We all at one point have been the prodigal who ran away. And God has graciously accepted us and and threw a party when we came back home. But also would be reminded that we all can fall into the trap of being the older brother who become unpatient with others, who don't want to throw the party because we have been faithful when others haven't. Don't ever lose the view of the father's love. Because even in that story, the sons aren't the heroes in the story. The father is. And would you know that no matter where you fall in that story, you are deeply loved by the father. That you are a son, you are a daughter. 
And you are loved by him. You are given new life by him, not because of anything you could do or anything you could earn, but because he deeply loves you. Because he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. And I hope and pray this morning that you know that that good news is for you. And I hope that you know that good news is for your enemy. It's for your best friend. It's for your spouse. It's for your neighbor. It's for all people. Would you guys stand with me as we're going to close out? We're going to pray and we're going to sing one more song. Join me in prayer. God, I thank you just so much for the fact that God, God, that you love us exactly where we are. God, that it's not about cleaning ourselves up. You're not keeping this list of right or wrong for us. Because God, at the end of the day, it's not about our righteousness, it's about yours. God, it's not about the good works that we could do. It's about the good work that you've already done on our behalf. God, I pray this morning that we could recognize, God, that everything good in our life comes from you. God, that we could recognize that, 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 God, our hope, our salvation is found in your son, Jesus. It's not in any work we could do. That we could lay down the mantle of, of success, of works, and we could just experience sonship, daughtership in just your presence. God, I also also ask, God, I, I repent and maybe some would join me with it in the ways that I haven't loved my neighbors. God, in the ways that I failed to want to know them, in the ways that I failed to get to know them so I could relate to them better. God, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, God, you could give me wisdom. That, God, you could give me a relational vision like Jesus to approach everyone with the same amount of love but in the unique approach that each person needs because you see them as significant. You see them as unique. God, may our hearts never grow cold like the older brother, but may we have a heart like the father. God, this morning, if someone doesn't know the love of your son, Jesus, if they've never been in a relationship with you, God, I pray this morning that they would recognize that all they have to do is just say in their heart to you, Lord, forgive me for the sin in my life, for the brokenness, for being distant from you. And just ask you to be the Lord of their life. To follow your son Jesus, his will and his way. To be a disciple of his. And they would know that God, no matter what their past is, no matter what their present was, that God, you want to change their future in this moment. God, as we sing and as we respond, would our hearts, our minds, and our ears be open to whatever you want to say to us in this moment. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.